Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. Let's go there. We go there every week. Let's go there again. 1 John chapter 4. And we're, we're ministering on the I am element. I, I kind of don't like to tell you this is number 8. It's, it's not that you're slow and you hadn't been getting it and we have to keep pounding it. But like Melissa talked about the foundation, we are making sure that we can grow into healing and to funding with a sure foundation. We, we want to have a confidence about our faith and just say, well, yeah, I'm going to speak to this mountain. And bless the Lord, the mountain will hear me and the mountain will move and it'll go right where I tell it. Now, see, you, you don't get there just by looking at Mark 11, 23 and 4. You have to meditate and, and put things in. Well, that's what we're doing. We're putting the foundation in. Verse 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So here's a truth. Here's a foundational rock to put in your life. Greater is he that is in me. Is somebody out? Okay. All right. Go find somebody. Y'all find, find somebody. Hallelujah. The New Living says the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. The spirit who lives in you are y'all back? Is greater than the spirit who lives in the world, the spirit that lives in me. So I'm not looking for God to say, sick them, God, now there's somebody bothering me. That's what Paul did in, in Corinthians 12. Uh, he, he said, I, I asked the Lord three times to get this booga off of me. And that's not how it works. The contemporary says, God's spirit's in you and is more powerful than the one that's in the world. The new century said, God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. Greater is he than is in us than the devil. The message says the spirit in you is far stronger, far stronger than anything in the world. All, this is all translating the Greek. The one who is the passion, the one who is living in you is far greater than the one who is in the world. Far greater. We don't have any troubles. So we, we will say of these verses, we have won every fight. We have won every fight. The we says you have gained a complete victory over them. We have won every fight. So we're, we're, we got, kind of got a chip on our shoulder, so to speak, a spiritual chip. You want a piece of this? <laughs> I mean, that's how we are. I'm here. Bring it. Bring it. Bring your best because the best in me is better than the best in you. Why, about halfway. Halfway in me is better than the best in you. So let's go to 2 Peter. You're right there in 1 John. Let's just slip back to 2 Peter a little dab. I want to talk about this morning about qualifying by believing the promises. And it's just so appropriate what Melissa shared about the foundation that's what we all are doing every week. I, you, you may say, I'd like to go to a church where they have more exciting messages. Yeah. There, there are those that talk about the pre-Adamic race and the, the mark of the beast and the 
the giants of Genesis 6, and there's some pretty exciting things in the Word. And you can read them and study them online with books and everything. I just say, knock yourself out. Just go, go fill up. But when you come to church, we're going to talk about the foundations. We're going to talk about how we build strong men and women in the kingdom for the glory of God. That's what he said to do. That's what he said to do. So 2 Peter 1.4 uh, says, uh, let's go back to verse 3. According as is the divine power hath given unto us all things. Well, could we stay there a little bit? His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Virtue being the power of God. Whereby, because of verse 3, verse 4 is true, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Well, that would be because they come from someone that's exceeding and great. They're, they're not your brother-in-law that says, if you'll loan me 20 today, I'll have it back to you on Thursday. Great and precious promises, that by these great and precious promises ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Y'all want to be a partaker of the divine nature. And he said one of the benefits is having escaped the corruption in the world through lust. One of the most stark things that I can think of as a grandfather is thinking about my grandchildren having to go through this world right now. It's just, it's just like, okay, I, I made it to the other side. No matter what happens, no matter how this plays out, I'm good. But my sugars, they're little, they're, they're young, and, and they're just, the world is stacked up against them. And, and then you got the crazy world, the, the gender world, and the, and the gay world, and, the, and the, the, the race world, and all, all the worlds that are out there that are trying to make their cause known. When the fact is, is that Jesus makes our cause known. We win at everything when we get Jesus. But they're trying to win through this other stuff. And then this stuff with Israel and the hatred that's going on, all of that. I, I really, my heart goes out to my grandchildren. That they're, what's ahead of them? And how we can protect them and how we can guard them. Because we went through a... World War II and Korean War and the Iraq War and all that, that never did really affect us. But what's in our children, grandchildren, is really affecting them. The Amplified says, By means of these, he has bestowed on his, us his precious and exceedingly great promises. Now, if we were to believe that, if we were to put the word exponential in there, we were to say this is one of those scriptures where God runs out of adjectives. He uses the most superfluous adjectives that there is and exceeding abundantly above and all sufficiency in all things that you may abound to every good work. Every once in a while he gets over there and just uses these, these superfluous things that it's like he runs out of, the, he exhausts the language. But if you go back and, and say, well, Lord, you exhausted it, but you did mention that it was plenty good. And I'm going to treat it like 
It was beyond your words. This is so precious. This is so exceeding. This is so amazing that I ought to treat it like it's the most precious thing that I've ever beheld and held. Lord, this, this, is, this is your gift to me. The promises are the culmination. It's the coup de grace. It's the, it's the outward limits of all that heaven has. His exceeding and great promises. Well, there's lots of people that would trade a miracle or trade a, uh, uh, an apparition or some fog or, or something. They'd trade it for all of them. That's what they're looking for. Uh, right now, there's a statue in, in Mexico that's got water coming out of her eyes. It's a statue. It's made of plaster of Paris <laughs> or something. And they're going, oh, we got to come from all over the world and see this. And you just go, oh, my. Oh, my. How many people want to go that can't go, but they want to go? And you, oh, you just go, oh, oh. This is terrible that that would be impressive to them when we have the exceeding and great precious promises. Wake up. Wake up. So I believe, this is just me, but you measure it on your own, that the promises, believing the promises is the qualifier for the greater life. When Jesus said, I've come that you might have that life and have it to the full, have it to overflow, he was talking about the promises. He was talking about, I have come to fulfill and to seal the promises. His blood put us in connection to the promises. We were foreigners and outliers, but the new birth put us as sons and daughters. And he said, welcome to the family. My family has these promises that I give to my children. And they're exceeding great and precious. Why don't you esteem them like I esteem them and you'll have what I have? Well, who would pass up on a deal like that? So we have to believe the promises. The problem or the challenge is that we have two systems that are operating simultaneously in our in our lives, we have our spirit man that can believe, but we have this, this, this thing up here, this, this organ that facilitates information that can also fake or counterfeit a believing. And we can say, I, I believe in healing and quote the scripture, by his stripes we were healed and go into a discourse about it. And this down here be completely empty and void. So we, we try to qualify this way, but it won't work until we qualify it this way. And so we have to discern that. We have to, we have to, we have to knock that head out and knock that mind out and that soul and say, you're a counterfeit. I need you to cooperate, but you have to come in line with what's down here. We're not going to come in line with you. Because the first time a symptom comes back, the first time the doctor says, well, I don't like the look of this, our head blows up. Are y'all here this morning? So you got to believe them. When we believe the promises, 
when we saturate our spirit, we meditate. That's the word, meditate. We take a scripture apart, like 1 Peter 2.24. Himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, should live unto righteousness. By his stripes ye were healed. When we take every word and look it up, because you, you can look it up. Everybody's got a concordance and a, and a. Everybody can look up every Greek word there is. Never believe that I know any Greek. I don't. I just. I just know how to look it up, and cross references and make sure that it's not some denominational slant that's not right. And but that's all I do. You can do it, and you meditate it. Should live under righteousness. What does that mean? You ought to know what should live under righteousness means. Live right. Live right before God. Live like God would live. Live like Jesus lives. What does that mean? Should live under righteousness. Being healed is living under righteousness. God never said, yeah, that's sick, and I, I made that, and I, I, I have a purpose for that, and I have a reason for that, and you can't understand that. But, but someday you'll know. That's not living under righteousness. And then by whose stripes? You've got to know what that means. You've got to know the covenant speech. You've got to know the blood that's in the stripes. And, the, and the, the transformation that Jesus became the scapegoat for us, not, not literally, but he bore them and took them away for us. He bore them and took them away. And so you just study it and you get in there and you look at it every day. And you, you meditate on it until it goes from this that's up there and it starts to descend into this, or not descend, but move into this, where when a symptom comes up, there's a response that comes from here before it can come out of here. We override this with this. We override, we rule, we dominate. We become single with the word, the great and precious promises. And then we start winning. But people are frustrated. They blame God. They, they, they say the promises are empty because they're believing up here. And they say, but I've got it. I nailed it. I know what it says. But it's head. It's assent. And it's not true. They, faith moves mountains. Optimism never did. So we have to know that. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, which turn there. We've got a few minutes. I've come to persuade you. Well, you're easily persuaded to believe. So we just come into agreement. When we come together like this and we hear the word, we, we have an opportunity to say, I agree. That's what amen means. I agree. So, so let it be. So be it. And so we just agree. It's not like, well, I didn't learn anything new today. This thing's got to be laid down time and time and time again. Because the symptoms come back time and time and time again. The lack presents itself and says, I'm real and I'm here to live with you. Time and time again. So faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. So I don't apologize for saying, well, we taught this last year. <laughs> Repetition is powerful. Amen. 
because of the nature that we have. So in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 18, uh, the eyes, here's where Paul is telling us how to pray, but he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, that's not head know, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory, the glory, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Wow, that's deep, and yet it's simple. And what, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? Who believe? Who believe? It, great, exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. I believe. I believe. Lord, help me. I want to believe better, and, but I, I believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So he's not here. Well, he's the head, but we're the body. The head's there, but we're, we're on track to join the head, aren't we? We are, we are, behold, the Lord cometh. Hallelujah. Far above all principality, how? Far, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. So macular degeneration is a name that's named. And power has been given to us over every name that's been named. Muscular dystrophy, cerebral palsy, Parkinson's disease, leukemia, a cold. An ear infection. A stubborn pimple behind our ear. <laughs> we have, it's, we've been given power far above. And you go, well, we know that. I know you know it in your head. I know I know it in my head. I can pass the test. Give me a test. Front page and back page. I can, I'll nail every one of them. But the real test isn't on paper. The real test is when the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What can he get away with? The measure of a man's character is by how long it takes for the devil and at what level he has to resort to to convince him that he is not who he says he is. That's the measure of a man, of a woman, is how long does it take? Well, it depends on if you're living a life of conviction which we all do about the new birth. We have to transfer that over to, I will never be sick again. You can't say that. The devil will attack if you say that. Well, yeah, day and night, night and day, that's what he's already doing. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill you. Every plan, the reason you wake up every day is because every plan has failed. We're under the protection of the Lord, but he wants to kill you. Now, all those people that, were, that are already serving the devil that are out there, he, they're in a system of the curse, of seed time and harvest. What they say is what they get. They're in a self-destructive mode. He doesn't have to work on them much. They're in the system. But we've all opted out of the system. We've opted out of the system. He says, I need everybody to conform. I need everybody to cower and everybody to be fearful and everybody to, to look at the stats that says one out of three people 
will get cancer and one out of four people will have heart attacks and all that. I need you to believe that. I need you to have a fearfulness. But we've all opted out. And so he's like, I, I got gazillions of people, but I'm targeting those that say, I'm a believer. By his stripes I was healed. And we don't flinch. He doesn't like that. We're the most dangerous thing to the devil there is on the planet. If we activate, the potential is there, but we have to activate, don't we? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in also in that one which is to come. So that tells you that the devil can't come up with a secret virus that's peculiar to you and attack you with something that's not common to man. He has to deal with what's in the earth. He can't create anything. Y'all remember that. He can't create anything. Matter of fact, the truth is, he doesn't like this, but he's a created being. Jesus created him. And he has nothing of his own. He has nothing of his own. He perverted the creation. But the devil is a created being. It's like, Jesus, I did that. <laughs> I mean, the original, the, the angel of light, and has put all things under his feet. Oh, the body, we're the body. Has, he's put all things under his headship? No, under his body's feet. Everything, all things. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. This is just, Standard stuff. Everybody's got the Bible, has got Ephesians in it. This, these verses are in everybody's Bible. And they don't know anything. And wouldn't it be a shame for the righteous, the mighty, to not know any more than the unrighteous and the unmighty, the weak? They have a Bible on their coffee table. They have a Bible that's in that special place that when they go to the church... Oh, no, we don't do that anymore. We don't take a church, Bible to church anymore. Almost, there's practically no scripture read in most churches. Why does the devil come? Because they're great and exceeding great and precious promises. What else does he come after? He comes after the blood. He comes after the name of Jesus. He comes after our pillars, our, our corner posts of our faith. He comes after that. You might be surprised, but I've been in churches. I go see, you know, my kin folks, and, and I go to church with them. And I listen. I listen to, to, to these things. Are they missing? And they're all missing all the time. I've been many times, and they're missing. The Amplified says, By having the eyes of your heart flooded with light, so that you can know, and understand the hope to which he has called you. I need to know and understand the hope to which he's called me. And how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints. And so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable. There's that exponential word. Immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness. Why didn't, why didn't Paul just write like, he's great. Oh, no, oh, no, immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in us for us who believe. 
as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world which are to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church. I, you might not get all that. That may be so many superfluous and so many, so many exponentials. You go, I, I got lost in that. Just, just know it's kind of like lawyer talk, like kind of like boilerplate. He covered it all. All you got to do is say, the lawyer says, sign this document. You go, what is it? It's good. Just sign it. We believe, don't we? Amen. Did y'all know the devil can't read your mind? All he can do is listen to your words. And he thinks that when he hears your words that he's read your mind. So he doesn't have to read your mind. He just listens unless you don't speak or unless you only speak the word of God. You're quoting the exceeding great and precious promises. And then he, he doesn't know what you're thinking. He doesn't know that symptoms came by or the doctor called or, or you, felt a, you felt something that, that the doctor said, if you ever feel that, I need you to call me and that you felt it or whatever. He doesn't know that unless you say it. Unless you call Aunt Nellie and say, man, I'm having a hard time. I think the doctor's right, and I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Did you know the devil in the gardens, he, what, what did he say to Eve? When Eve said, here's, here's what God's done for us, and he said, don't eat of it. What did he say? He did. But first, before that, he said, hath God said. Hath God said. Now I'm going to tell you in some subtle form, some way, he always comes to the promises that you believe. And he says in his way that you understand, hath God said. He, he disqualifies the promises because you and me without the promises, we're just regular folks and we don't have much going on. So he says, hath God said, just expect that when you launch out on the promises, he's got a counteroffensive. He's got the, the things that the planes put out when the missiles are after them and, and the missiles blow up those countermeasures. That's what he does. Romans 12, 2 says, uh, uh, stop. Uh, is, oh, Romans 12, 2. I'm going to read that. The devil. The devil. We have to respect him, but... We give him nothing. Verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world. So, we're mindful all the time. Is what I'm about to do being conformed to this world? But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The, the NLT says this. Excuse me, the passion. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions 
of the culture around you. I, I think that's pretty plain spoke. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. Sounds like an overhaul. You take your car in and you say, I, I got a little knocking sound here. He calls you back in an hour and says, we got to overhaul the whole thing. That knocking sound you hear is, so we got we to overhaul the whole thing. I just needed an adjustment in my thinking. No, we got to be overhauled, don't we? And it takes our whole life. And so, if uh, there, I'm going to I'm going to say this, but I, I have a message for visitors, and I'm always got a message for visitors, and y'all would have to endure it. But it's good for all of us. So, let's talk about sin, and this is where I'm going about this I am element. What about sin? Sin is the big thing in the room, the gorilla in the room, the elephant in the room. It's, it's, it's what's there, but what about sin? And when you're talking about qualifying for the promises, one way that the devil says, hath God said, he says, hath God said to you? And then he brings you your sin. These promises are people that don't do what you've done, don't think like you thought, don't, don't have a past like you have. These promises are real. Yeah, they're, they're real, but not for you. Very subtle, but very convincing. He's made it work most of the time. God thinks that Jesus solved the sin problem. That's what God thinks. So everybody's afraid of what God thinks. And they're condemned in their sin. But God thinks that Jesus solved the sin problem. I don't want to lighten the cost of sin. But the cost of sin anymore is natural. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You, you go, oh, I think I'll sin because God doesn't care. Well, that's not true, but, but it won't send you to hell. But it will make you go to hell on earth. Sin will take you all the way down. You'll still go to heaven and you'll be wishing for heaven. But Jesus solved the sin problem. If he didn't, why did he bear all of our transgressions and iniquities on the cross? Romans 6. You're right there. We got a few more minutes. I just say that so you'll know I'm looking at the clock. It doesn't mean a thing. Verse 12, Romans 6, 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. So Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. Why? That ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Let's say it in first person. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Now this, this includes us being qualified. 
You got a naughty in your life that you can't seem to get rid of. You can't seem to get released from. You've, you've repented of it. You've said you're sorry. But then if you go back up into, into chapter 6 and 7, you find out Paul said, yeah, that, that's sin. It comes back around. It circles back and says, I thought he was dead, but I, I'm going to go back and put another bullet in him and make sure. And so we have to deal with the lusts in our body, in our in our soul. And it's a it's a struggle. Until it's not. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. The New Living says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Okay. He didn't say do not let sin send you to hell. He said, just don't let it control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Now here it is. Sin is no longer your master. Well, sin acts like it's my master. Could y'all say amen there? Sin acts like it says, hath God said? God hadn't said you're released from this sin. This thing's sending you to the bottom. It's sending you to the pit. He's good, hath God said? No, God did. God was saying that about the good people, but you are not one of them. And so he tells you, your sin is sending you to the pit, sending you to hell. You are estranged from God for what you did because you can't seem to get the victory over it. He goes on and says, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Now, we've got to know that. Now, the danger that people say is in Galatians 5. It says, Stand, stand fast in the liberty, whereby God, Jesus has made you free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. It says there that we're free. Even when we sin, we're still free. The danger is that people, and preachers especially, don't like is that if you tell people they're free and sin doesn't send them to hell, they'll lose their grip on the people. They won't, they won't need the church. They won't need the word. They won't need them. And so they keep a little sin out there. Well, you never know. You never know. God just, you may, you may cross the line and you, and you don't want to cross the line. And so there's this thing in the body. We can't even get free of it in the churches. It's not like we got to battle the devil. we got to battle the church and religion. And we're all the products of that. If you had heard this message when you were growing up, and that's all you heard, you would think different than how you and I think. We wouldn't be undoing and remodeling our house. We, we would have just been putting some paint in the bathroom and, and, uh, and, and taking a wall out in the kitchen instead of leveling the whole thing down to the foundation. I like this that it says in Ephesians 1 that you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The devil can't get to your spirit. Sin cannot get to your spirit. We are sealed. I'm sealed. I'm sealed. Now, he, 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 he brings the wrecking ball to my head. 
He condemns all of us or attempts to. Well, he does, but whether we receive it or not. But he can't get down here. He can't get down here. We are sealed. Adam was not sealed. So when he got reborn the wrong way, went from a son of God to a son of the devil, God had to kick him out of the garden. Orita, vamanos. Because if he'd eaten of the tree of life, he would live forever in that state. We would have all been damned. But here we are. Jesus came in 2,000 years, 4,000 years, 4,000 years, and rescued us out. So nothing can touch you in your spirit. And I'm here to tell you, this, this thing about inner healing and this thing about you got a broken spirit, you got a sick spirit, you got a grieved spirit, it's not true. Now, it's true people do, do go under those influences, but it's in their head. Nothing. We are perfect down here. I am perfect down here. You cannot be demon-possessed once you're born again. Demon-possessed. I mean, it's semantics. You can certainly be oppressed. You can certainly act like you're demon-possessed. But he can't get to you. We're sealed. Y'all, we need to know that. Christians need to know that. They need to know we're sealed. They don't know we're sealed, so they're condemned easily. They're always condemned. Well, I'm going to go to 1 John 1, 9. I'm going to skip all this other stuff. That's the best amen y'all gave all morning. Hallelujah. <laughs> if we, verse 9, if we, if we, if. So the operative word is if. If we confess, if we agree with heaven. The word there, confess, means to concede. It means to agree. Doesn't mean we sugarcoat it and say, well, now, Lord, I didn't really do it. If Johnny hadn't been there, I wouldn't have done it, but he made me do it. And you're not agreeing with heaven, are you? And, and you can't get clean if you don't agree with heaven. So if, you confess our, if we confess our sins, if we concede, and we've talked about this many times, where you need, you need to not leave anything unturned. You need to not leave something on the table that you go, like Ananias and Sapphira. That was a bad move on their part to, to not tell the truth. What if the Holy Spirit knew all along what exactly happened? What if he did? Well, what if he knows about our sin? It's good. It's right. Bring it all up. Bring it all. It's against, it's against my... Uh, it's against me being a wife. It's against me being a husband. It's against me being a parent. This thing is against who I am in the Lord Jesus. I mean, you just, you, you, you ring it out all the way. You don't make it up, but you ring it out. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The reason we need to, to even mention this is that the very thing that we talked about, about sin not being in our spirit. The Lord doesn't just confess, excuse me, doesn't just forgive the sins we confess. Because what if you missed one? 
What have you missed one? Well, it could be there's a lot of stuff that you don't know about that you did or didn't do. He's already forgiven us. There's a big thing in the body of Christ going on right now, or had been, where, where if you've got unconfessed sin and Jesus is coming back, boom, you're, you're here. You're going to stay. You don't get to go. It's just not the way the Lord works. It's just not in line with his character. So he says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That's why we wring them out. We want them all out. We want them all forgiven. We want everything on the table that we know about. But if we don't know about it, if it's not convicting us, then it's, it's not that it's okay, but it's not being held against us. Holy Ghost convicts us of sin because we're standing in the middle of traffic and he doesn't want us to get run over. So, so he says, let's quit that. Let's get out of traffic. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, y'all know this, but let's just say it on tape. There is a, the word talks about, I looked it up, the ministration of condemnation. That condemnation has a certain value. There's, now, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, but preachers use it a lot, and we as parents have used it a lot, where we condemn, and it affects a positive result. So it does have a certain amount, but, but it's never right. It's never right. It's evil, even though it does yield some good sometimes. So here he says, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Where does that happen? Well, we, we were never unrighteous down here, were we? We're never unrighteous down here. So he doesn't cleanse us from sin in our spirit. It's where condemnation is. Where we just like, man, I am just dragging around. I hate what I did. I, I, I've asked the Lord to forgive me, but I, he, he never did send back anything saying, Ditto, I got that, yes, sir. And so I'm here without any confirmation that he forgave me. And so I'm just dragging this thing around. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He takes it out. We, we confess it, we agree with it, and he takes it out. The sea of his forgetfulness is one scripture. Removes us as far as the east is from the west is another scripture. The only thing the Lord can do, and, and he can do anything, is that he can forget. He can put our sins in that place where he, so that if we dare bring it up and say, Lord, I'm back again and I know I did this, and I'm, uh, here I am back again. We're not, we're not syncing up with faith and the word. He, he's not there. You go, well, yeah, he's really there because God can do anything. I don't know, but that's what he says. He said the sea of his forgetfulness. I'd go with God. I'd go with the word. I'd go with versus my feelings. Well, I still felt bad. Well, you, you didn't go in there and cleanse everything and put the blood on it. Put the blood on it. 
put the blood on it. Isn't Jesus wonderful? It's just better. Every time we open the Word, it's just better. Every time you go in the Word and read the Scriptures, it's like, this is almost too good to be true. Hallelujah. Now, if we're wrong about the rapture, if all of us are going through the tribulation, which we're not, or if people can sin themselves into hell, believers can sin and do something terrible and run off and not repent and they're going to hell. Just always remember it doesn't change anything about your life. What he does doesn't change what you're going to do. And it's not something that you can talk to people about that will change how they're going to live. You can't tell people, well, if you do that, you're going to hell. Preachers have been doing it for eons. They, they, are, they are skilled and honed in their craft of just as I am without one plea. I mean, that, when I was at home and listened to that, I mean, he knew everybody in the house. There wasn't anybody there. But we went through the same old Saul. So, so let's just concentrate. This is my thing. Let's just concentrate on people, on things that are positive and good and life-changing. Whatever we can do, the Lord loves you. Let me pray for you, and he will heal you. That's, that's good. What if he did? What if he actually healed them? They'll remember it. They're not very good at thanking. Only one out of the nine, uh, ten lepers came back. It's, it's kind of only one out of the four soils yielded up a harvest. Uh, there's only 120 out of the 100, 500 that, were in the up, that got invited to the upper room showed up. The remnant, only, only 300 went up the hill with Gideon out of 33,000, 1%. We need to quit being surprised about how callous and estranged people are, how they've all listened to hath God said and believed it. The greatest key is to live your life in front of them. If they ask you something about how's this work, about the rapture or about, you know, or, or sin, you'll know, you'll know, but that's not what they're looking for as a preacher. They're looking for someone that's got their stuff together. That's what they're looking for. That's what your children and your grandchildren are looking for, is that you're solid as a rock. And you may be gone, God forbid, but if, if that was to happen, where you were gone, they would always remember how you were kind and forgiving and always put your trust in Jesus. That's all we have, really. This is the Lord's business. We're just, we're, we're here... To, at the master's business, but it is his business. Amen. So, Lord, we thank you that you've got a business and you've qualified us to be in your business. And so we, we're asking you for wisdom, for opportunity all the time to know how to better master your business on earth as it is in heaven. And you've equipped us, the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, laying hands on the sick, 
speaking to the mountain. Oh, Lord, we, we are without we are without excuse. Everything that you said we would need, we have. So we leave this place today powered up to do your business. And Lord, we're coming soon. If you'll, if you'll send somebody down to fetch us, we'll rise up and we'll go with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's stand up. Let's sing a song.